0: Basis of that blessing harkens back to the Old Testament. People Of Israel were uh, coming out of Egypt, and God was speaking over them and saying, I'm making a covenant with you. If you will abide by that covenant, there's an opportunity for this blessing to go on and on and on and on. Most of us would say, Well, I'm trying to live a good life, and we talk to those around us and They would say, I'm trying to live a good life. But maybe a better question is, are you perfect? I'm not. I do try to live a good life. um, But when there's a choice between selfishness and goodness at times, I choose selfishness. And most people I see around me do similar things. When we're addressing who does God embrace, well, we're saying God is perfect, He's created all things, and He's preparing an eternity without decay, without sin, without any of the evil that we've known in this world, and the question is, how do I get to participate? And... Realistically, good isn't enough. Perfect abides in a perfect setting. So how do we get there? I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 because the New Testament writers walked through this, and their conclusion was, the only way that I could ever participate in God's eternity is if God were to reach out and draw me in. It'd have to be out of his love and his compassion that a door would be opened for me to participate. And so that's what they would walk through. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, he says, you were dead in your offenses and sins. You, know, you had done enough to already exclude you from any kind of eternal life. Well, all of us have been in that place. Uh, You lived according to this world's present path. In other words, the whole group is kind of walking down in one direction. According to the ruler of the domain of the air, he says, you were were doing what Satan does. And it says that spirit is now energizing the sons of disobedience. In other words, the work of the enemy actually helped you do a lot of these profane things. All of us formerly lived out our lives with the cravings of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and by nature we're children of wrath even as the rest. So that's a a challenging thing, isn't it? Good doesn't get it. Because it's more or less an evaluation of those around us. And we tend to see ourselves in a very good light, whether it's true or not. We can find something that we do better or behave better than others. And so it puts us in into place. And yet, for a perfect eternity, from a perfect God, you would assume that he would want perfect participating. We're not there. Jesus uh, takes this a bit further. He's he's got people that are chewing on him and and frustrated with what he's doing. They're religious. And he goes back and he says, You people are from your father, the devil. You go, Whoa. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, You do what your father desires. He's a murderer, does not uphold the truth, he lies. He says, just like children try to please their father and they do things that, that, uh, to try to get his attention, he's saying basically you're walking that path where the one that's, that has uh, your attention is the devil. You know, you're doing the various things that he does, so he, he likes them, and says, That's like he's your father figure. Kind of sobering. I We'd write it off except Jesus is saying this. Back to Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. So that's that idea that Even though there was nothing to recommend us for this life with God forever, there's still God reaching out in great mercy and saying, but I would have you with me. And so we recognize that it's his salvation that actually opens a door for us to participate with him. It says, it goes on and it takes it even further. It says, he raised us up with him, seated us together with him, in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, and demonstrates in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of His grace and kindness. He says, "Not only is it good news that uh, you're not just going to be destroyed, that as, an, as a person who is dead in offenses of sins, he says, "You've been brought to new life, but you are also given a place in the house, so to speak." You know, seated in heavenly realms. You're, you're given a place in God's house or in his place. So he says the goodness of God and his grace for our lives extends beyond just bringing life, but he says actually there's an elevation a putting in a place that we would never get to on our own. Let's go back to John again in John 3. Jesus has a conversation with a good man, a religious man, one of the religious leaders, in fact, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus uh, would have been a man who knew the Scripture well. He would have been a man who lived a very ordered and disciplined life. And so when he asks him, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, you must be born from above or or as born again, however the translation reads. And, and so here's a man who by any standards in society is living a very well-put-together life and an ordered life in God, and Jesus is saying, that's not enough. You're going to have to be born from God. You're going to have to be born from above, or born again. Later in this same chapter, he says God loved the world and gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the context for that verse that we learned early, early on. The only way that we receive eternal life is by God sending a Son to establish something new and to bring a salvation to us he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but the world should be saved through him in other words jesus didn't come just to tell you how bad you were that was already established what he's trying to do is help you out no one who believes in him is not con- the one who believes in him is not condemned The one who does not believe has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So he says very plainly, the only way in is through Christ. The only way in is to embrace God's salvation and kindness. The perfect one has provided a way, and he says, this is the way that good people, bad people, any people can find peace with God to be invited into a perfect setting in eternity. Now, he says, this is the basis for judging, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This idea of light and dark is carried on even through the Old Testament. In Psalms chapter 11, it says, the wicked uh, shoot their bows in darkness at the morally upright. In other words, well, while hidden, there are shots taken at those that are living a little better. That's just normal form, the light and dark contrast. But the one who practices truth comes to the light, so that it may be plainly evident that his deeds have been done in God. I like that phrase, um, practices. Uh, some of the translations have if he does good, but this idea of practice kind of is stretched out, right? It's the, the bent of the, the person or, or the, the path that they're going on, what they're participating in. It doesn't say that they get it right every time, but it's that idea that this is the direction that they're headed. This is what their life is about, in a sense, practicing the presence of God, um, Let's jump over to 1 John, and then we'll get back to Ephesians. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness, there's that word again, is righteous. Just as Jesus is righteous, the one who practices sin is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. I guess what what I tie into this in regard to this translation is, using the word practices, is that I'm walking down this path, but not every decision I make is is perfect. And yet, how do I live with that conflict, so to speak? And it's like if the bent of your life, the path of your life, is walking down in righteousness, God makes provision for that. Our practice is this. Um, I, I love the idea when, When Jesus is talking to Simon Peter before the failure by Simon, he says, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But I've asked him or asked that when all of this is over, your faith will remain, then go strengthen the brothers. And he's going, I know that you're going to fail. I know (laughs) where this is going. But he says, I also see beyond that, and I know where I want you to go, and I know what I want you to accomplish. And, and that stirs me because it's like, in his grace, he provisions even for the failures. In his grace, he makes a, a path for those who are living toward <laughs> righteousness, but still knowing that they're not perfect in the moment. What an awesome thing that is. What an incredible thing that we can embrace that it's not my works, it's not my perfection that's getting me there, but it's the grace of God and his salvation. It's his provision. Um, Everyone who has been fathered by God does not practice sin. It's not the bent of our lives because God's seed resides in him, and thus he's not been able to sin because he's been fathered by God. In other words, what's planted in us by the Spirit moves us into another direction. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Everyone who does not practice righteousness, the one who does not love his fellow Christian, is not of God. Back to Ephesians. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. So we, we come back to this again and saying, your goodness is not enough, no matter how many good deeds you do. You're not perfect. What's saving you is the grace of God and His kindness that has opened a door and allows us to step in in participation. For we are his creative work and have been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we can do them. He ties this back into the thing of, yeah, we're participating in good works. We're walking in it, but that is not the basis of our salvation. It is a response to our salvation. You know, it's, it's don't put one in front of the other where it doesn't belong. We're saved by his grace. And out of our our response to that salvation, we recognize that he's already prepared things for us to do that we step into. And we start walking in that path. And so it's an intriguing thought to say, okay, God, you've brought me into this wondrous salvation. Now what do you have for me to do? You've brought me into this. Now, what should my response be? How should I be living this out in your good pleasure? Now, this chapter transitions some, and I didn't want to leave the latter portion out. But Paul's saying, all of you have been brought into this community, and you have vastly different backgrounds and experiences. And he starts dealing with that. And basically, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles combining into one worship group. But for our day, it'd be like some of you have a church background and you know all the Bible stories. You've memorized portions of scripture. You know the, the, the things of working together in community where things like tithing and praying out loud. You've, you've been trained in that since you were a a baby. And then he goes, some of the group like the gentiles came in pretty late, don't know any of the stories, don't know anything about the machinery of the church, but it's it's all been put together in a wondrous way. And it's not about tiered system where, you know, someday you'll grow up and you'll know all the bible stories but rather everybody has been brought together. And what's uniting them is this common salvation experience of Jesus Christ setting us free from our sin and bringing us into new life. And as that works together, so that's that's the context, so to speak, of what he's addressing with these two groups. He says... But now in Christ, Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those of you that didn't know any of the church stories and any of the Old Testament, didn't have anything memorized, yeah, you, <laughs> you were brought in through Christ. For he's our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed any hostility that was between the two. So he's saying, When you came in with a heritage of the church or not, it doesn't really matter what unites is the work of Christ. And he said he did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and to reconcile them both in one body to God, through the cross, which the hostility has been killed. So in other words, there is something being built with people that come with vastly different experience backgrounds and training, and yet there's a community being formed that God has an intent in mind. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, both groups. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So the thing that unites us is this presence of God in our lives. The Spirit of God working in us. That's what draws us to each other. So that you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So it doesn't matter what your background is. You've been brought into the presence of God through this new birth. You're being built on the foundation, of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the cornerstone. In Him, the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being together in the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we started out; we were talking about the eternal home that's being developed. But He says, "What happens when we gather together, even though we have different backgrounds?" Because we have each have a portion of the presence of God in us, we, in a sense, are fashioning a house for God's presence to live. So even though our experiences are different and, and our training can be vastly different, what brings us together is the salvation of God that's been provided for us and the sense of His Spirit working in our hearts. So when we come together, there's this beautiful opportunity for the presence of God to be in our midst, and for us to come, even though we've got different experiences, to be blended into something powerful and wondrous. I noticed when we were singing, there was a lot of volume coming out at the end. Some have good voices, some don't. It really didn't matter in that moment. What was happening was this this joyful awareness of the goodness of God as we're singing about his favor that can go for a thousand generations. What a privilege it is, is when we get together and we sense that again and again and again knowing that he has brought us into something powerful and wondrous. Not because we're good. We attempt to be good because of what he's done in us. But because he has provided for us, and he allows us to participate in something perfect, even though we aren't. His salvation has covered that and made it powerful. If you have been wrestling with, am I at peace with God? And particularly if you're aware of sinful activity that's been a part of you and you're going, I don't know if he'd embrace me or not. Come back to these passages that speak life and say, it's what he's done. It's not how I can do enough to make him happy. And to say, okay, God, here I am. I'm wanting to walk this path that you have. I'm wanting to walk and find your favor. I'm wanting my life to show that you're my father. And know with certainty that he's already made provision for you that he's already opened the door, that his willingness has come from the very beginning of time and saying, I will make provision to what they can't do. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life, gives us hope that we have the opportunity of being born from above or born again, that we enter into a newness by your Spirit that we become friends with people that have completely different backgrounds because we have a common bond in you. We rejoice in that this day. Amen. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. Acknowledge His goodness in our lives. What a joy it is that we can just participate together. I encourage you during this season to uh, share your faith with others. COVID has allowed us to examine everything that we believe and everything that we hold dear. And a lot of people are just walking through those questions and trying to figure it out. And I'd encourage you to just make sure that you take every opportunity of conversation that way. May your blessing rest on these, your people. and they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to rest in your salvation knowing that you have done all that is necessary. I ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. Enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.